evening, 2 Peter chapter number 1, we'll start reading in verse number 3. It says this, according as, as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby, verse number 4, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. So here, Peter wants to instruct us some things that should be added to our lives as believers to really uh, chip away and begin to look more like Jesus Christ. I hope that tonight, that that truly is your desire. Uh, that, that your desire is for your life to resemble the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now Peter says this, add to your faith. And so he begins to give uh, several things here in this list. Uh, look, at, look at what it says in the middle of verse number 5. It says, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you, in other words, you, you have these things in your life. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But look at verse number 9, and I really want us to, to, to understand here tonight, really the danger of not adding to our faith is found here in verse number 9, and we'll look at it more in depth later this evening. It says, but he that lacketh these things, what things? The things that he just instructed us to add to our faith. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. I want to preach this evening on the importance of growing as Christians. Another title I guess you could, you could uh, entitle this is Building Beyond the Basics of the Christian Life. When Krista and I first got married, there was one thing that she really wanted to do there at our house in Illinois, and she wanted this one thing, and I, I kind of cringed a little bit. Uh, Brother Larry, I didn't know really if I, I wanted to do this, and she, she began to, to tell me, Anthony, hey, this is what I want to do, and, and so it was this. It was to plant a garden. So I thought, I've done plenty of those growing up. I didn't know as an adult, you know, if I really wanted to get into that because I remember all the work that went into it as a kid. Uh, and so I was the one that had to till the ground. Uh, we were the ones that had to plan. And so we had to do all of the work because guess what? We're uh, adults. We have to do all the, the heavy lifting. It can't be like, hey, let's let it go off to the side and then have our parents come in because why? They're nowhere around. And so we couldn't even fall back on our parents to take care of our garden. But that's one thing she wanted. She really wanted to do. And so I said, all right, after a, a couple uh, weeks of thinking about it, she said, it's getting closer to the time that we need to get into the ground and get this thing going. And I said, all right, honey, we'll, we'll do it. And so sure enough, in uh, springtime, we, uh, I went out and I, I tilled the ground. And, uh, and it was quite the process because the, the ground wasn't, had never been used for, for a garden before. And there was rocks everywhere. And so I uh, began to, to take time, and I started doing it by hand, and then I finally said, you know what, forget this, I'm going to find somebody with a rototiller, and so uh, I got one of those, and so I, I did the cheating way, and I, I just began to, to rototill it and, and not do it by hand, because 
uh, I was just, I was done. And it, we hadn't even planned it yet. And so uh, then we got it all tilled up and we began to, to put all of our rows together and we began to plan, uh, to plan. And Krista, she got some bricks and she painted and put them at the end of each row to show what, uh, what was planted there so we didn't forget. But you know what, I, I can't help but, but realize that when it comes, and, and you, most of you are familiar with, with planting and harvesting, is that the, really, in order to reap a harvest in October and November, there's one thing you have to do in the spring, is prepare the ground and then plant. Now, let me ask you, you all know the answer, but I'm going to ask, ask you anyways. After you plant, do you immediately see the result of the thing that you just planted, yes or no? No. Uh, now, somebody living in the city, they may think that you do. Uh, we've had a few conversations with Brother Brian and, and a few others that, that sometimes people go to the grocery store and they think that, that everything comes from the grocery store and they forget that the farmers had to, uh, had to, to get, get all of this stuff uh, done at their own farms to get it into the grocery store. And some, some people are, are naive to, to think that it just surprisingly just falls into the grocery store. But we understand this thing of work. We understand that we must plant, prepare the ground, plant, and then it takes time to ultimately see the result of what we planted. But you know, I can't help but realize that the Christian life is very similar to that. You see, abiding in Jesus Christ really is a daily process. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me will bring forth much fruit. And so we must abide in the Lord Jesus Christ to see fruit in our lives. But understand, in the Christian life, abiding in Jesus Christ and growing into the Christians, Michael, that we should be, it takes really a daily walk with the Lord. But you know, I find even, Brother Todd, is that many times what happens in our own lives is we simply just stay with the basics of Christianity. We seldom go, don't go beyond the basics to desire to grow closer and grow more with the Lord. And so I want us to look here from 2 Peter some things that really we can do in our lives to simply grow beyond the basics. And so the Bible tells us that in, in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. First Peter 2.2, 2, it says this, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if, be, if so be ye have tasted, the Lord is gracious. We know that a Christian or uh, individual that has just gotten saved, they can't really handle the, the deep things of the word of God. They need, just as babies need in order to grow, and Pastor and, and Miss Rebecca, you know exactly what is about to be said. In order for a baby to grow properly, what do they start? They don't start them on mashed potatoes and, and, and gravy. You don't start babies on, on steak and corn. You, you don't start there. What do you start with? You start with milk because you know it, it's this continual process. And so as, as someone who's newly saved, it's going to, to take the, the milk, or in other words, the basics of Christianity that they need to begin to, to develop. Reading their Bible, praying, and being a witness. These, these things are simply the basics of the Christian life. But to be honest, a Christian who's been saved for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, that is still a baby Christian, is really a tragedy. 
It's a tragedy. Why? Because God doesn't intend for us in our Christian life just to stay at the basics. Yes, they're important. We should not neglect those things. But there are other things that we should partake in that are supposed to grow us in the Christian life. The Bible says in Hebrews 6.1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. At first glance, you kind of your guard goes up a little bit, Miles. Here, here the writer says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, you can't help but wonder, is he telling us to, to leave the teachings of Jesus Christ, to leave those things? No, this is what he says. He says, let us go on under perfection. In other words, Hebrews 6.1 is all about, hey, let's go beyond the basics and let's go and move towards spiritual maturity. And then, why? What's, what's the whole purpose? So that Ephesians 4.14 isn't a characteristic of our life. That this is what it says, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You see, when we just stay with the basics of Christianity, it's very easy to be tossed to and fro. When the little, little doctrinal errors pop up, if we aren't growing the way that we should, if we aren't building beyond the basics in our own Christian life, it's very easy to get swayed left and right. It's very easy to fall in the traps. And so we don't want to be like that. So let's look tonight at what does it take to, to, to mature in our Christian life. Notice the first thing is understand first the promises of God. The promises of God. Here we come to 2 Peter 1 and Peter's writing here to the churches of Asia Minor. He's writing from Rome. He's there in prison. Uh, Chris and I, just at the, the middle of December, had the, the privilege of being in Italy, and we were able to stand right there at the Mamertine prison and see the place where Paul would have been kept in captivity. And there it was. We see that, that Paul is writing to the churches of Asia Minor. We see 1 Peter, 1 Peter the book of 1 Peter, is written to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. We see that these believers have been scattered and, 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 and Peter really wants them to understand the inheritance that they have through Jesus Christ. That their inheritance is incorruptible and it's in heaven. And then he begins to, to instruct them of the fact that the trying of their faith worketh patience. When they are tried, they will become like that, that, that goal that's refined. Because remember, here it was, Nero despised Christians. And so here it is, riding for Rome in, a, in the midst of heavy persecution. First Peter is all about, hey, make sure we're living the right kind of lives that we should. And then he deals with the, the, the aspect of, of being tried in our faith. But now we come to Second Peter, and he's writing to the churches of Asia Minor again. And this is really the, the, the theme of the book is this, faithfulness, in the day of apostasy. You see, Peter, in, in chapter number 2, if we were to read through chapter number 2 and chapter number 3, we would see that Peter is really addressing much of, of the false teaching that so many times was prevalent in that day. So he's now addressing to these, these Christians all, all around Asia Minor, and he wants them to understand that, hey, in your life, don't give in. Don't be swayed by all the apostasy, all the false teachings out there. Be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's amazing is that before Peter even addresses this thing of false teachings, 
Look at what he focuses on first. And it's the passage that we are in this evening. He focuses first on the promises of God. Look at verse number 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. The promises that, as you continue, that allow us, get it, to be partakers of the divine nature. We get to partake in the Christ life. We get to partake in this fact that we can live the abundant Christian life. We get to partake in the goodness of God each and every day as believers. But here, Peter wants us to understand the great and exceeding precious promises of God. Promises that are backed by the very integrity of God. Because after all, we find in the Word of God that God cannot lie. In other words, if God promises it in this book, you can bank on it, you can take it to the bank, that check is never going to bounce. Why? Because it's backed by God's integrity. It's backed by God's character. And so when we come to the promises of God, we can trust in them. We can depend on them because it is backed by who He is. We find that the Bible says in Romans 4.20, He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. Hey, what is it? What promise do you find in the Word of God that many times it's difficult to, to, to really rely on? But understand, we can. If God's Word says it, we can depend on it because this is the very God that cannot lie giving it to us and we can take it to the bank. The Bible says in Isaiah 46, 10, it says, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. First Thessalonians 5.24 Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Second Peter 3.19 We got the greatest promise of all. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is longsuffering to usward not willing, praise God, that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And we have that promise of eternal life. And hey, if we can depend on the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, which by the way, Peter even addresses in 1 Peter 1, he says that our inheritance, our salvation is kept. The word kept there in 1 Peter 1 speaks of currently and continually. In other words, every day, your salvation is kept by Almighty God. And hey, Tonight, if we can trust the Lord Jesus Christ with our salvation and we know that our home is in heaven and He is not slack concerning His promise and He offers that forgiveness and if you've been a beneficiary and have experienced that forgiveness, you can depend on that. But get it, even beyond salvation, if God says it, you can trust in it. Remind you, Peter, no doubt, I, sometimes I, I interject some things that, that I wonder if Pe what was going on in Peter's mind here. He begins to speak about the promises of God and what was one of the greatest promises that Peter was given by the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he was told by the Lord Jesus himself, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now think about it very closely. Here, what is Peter addressing? False teaching. 
this apostasy that's crept into the church. And in Peter's mind, think about it, I wonder as he was writing, Brother Brian, to these Christians, if he was reminding himself of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ himself promised that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. So get it now, with confidence, he can address this church in the fact that, hey, I don't have to worry, I don't have to fret, because God promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That no matter how hard the devil tries to fight, no matter what he does, God's church, praise God, will continue forward. That's a promise of God. And Peter would have been reminded of that. But I wonder what promises do you need to trust the Lord with tonight? Because get it, it's backed by His very character and we can depend on those promises. Notice number two tonight is the need to add to your faith. Look back at 2 Peter 1, verse number 5. He says, and beside this, giving all, what's that next word? Diligence. Giving all diligence. Now, when Krista and I began to, to do that garden, there was one thing we quickly learned, is that you can't let a garden go unattended for very long. So, Krista and I, after we planted our garden, we were taking care of it, we were watering it, and then we had to leave for about a, a month, a month and a half. And so we didn't really know any of our neighbors to take care of it, and we didn't really have anybody that would be able to come by and, and watch it. We thought, oh, surely it won't get that bad. <laughs> we uh, get back, and, and we're pulling into our house, and we, we were all excited because we were ready to see what, what does our garden look like, and lo and behold, as we looked out back, it looked like just a giant pile of weeds we had left it go for a little bit too long and the weeds were probably knee high and some of them even up to our waist so Kristen and I we let out a heavy sigh as most people would do in that situation and we got the hose out and we began to not like the watering hose but the the digging hose and we went out and we began to we began to weed away. And I tell you what, it took us about a week and a half of consistently doing that to finally get rid of all the, the weeds. I finally just had enough, Michael, that I just fired up that weed eater and I just let it go and I just started mowing them down and making sure I didn't hit our plants. And so I was just all fed up with it. But understand, just as we had to weed out the garden, many times in the Christian life it's much like that. There are some things that we need to attend to. We dealt with that even Sunday night, the fact that we need to, to come broken before God because that's the beginning of revival. But even continually, every day, beyond that, there's some things that we need to, to weed and take out in order to, to reap a, a, a better harvest. And there's some, some tending to the garden of our Christian life that, we need to, to, that needs to take place so that way we can grow properly. And so now here, verse number five, it says giving all diligence. You know what I learned from this? Just as it takes diligence to take care of a garden, the Christian life takes work. It takes work. You see, this thing is not going to come about by chance. As nice as it would be, as wonderful as we would all love for it to be that, hey, we're these spiritual giants, get it? You don't become a spiritual giant overnight. It's a continual process. It takes, get it, the word that Peter uses, diligence. So what kind of diligence do we need? He says, add to your faith. And now he's going to give several things here in this list, and we won't necessarily touch on each of them. 
for sake of time, but let's, let's just briefly address what he begins to talk, talk about. He says, add to your faith. That's that saving faith. What, what should be added beyond just the basics? First thing is virtue. Virtue. That speaks of, of, of moral integrity, moral purity. But even it can be carried on uh, beyond that of the fact that courage. It's going to take courage for us to have virtue and to, to have that moral integrity to live the life that God wants us to live. After all, Paul, Peter spends all of 1 Peter, or a, a good portion of it, dealing with the fact that as Christians we are called to be holy. And all throughout the Word of God speaks about the importance to, to have courage, to have this thing of, of virtue. And so not only do we see this thing of virtue, uh, we see that the Bible says in Psalms 31, 24, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Isaiah 41, 6, they helped everyone his neighbor and everyone that said to his brother, be of good courage. And so we see that all throughout the word of God, this thing of the Christian life takes courage and especially in the, the area of, of this thing of virtue, of making sure that in our lives, we are, are living our lives above board. Courage to stand against false teaching. Courage to stand strong against sin. And so we need this thing of virtue, having that integrity within our hearts. Let me ask you, do you have that in, in your life? If not, here's a, a, a building beyond the basic block of this thing of virtue. But notice next is knowledge. Knowledge. This is a knowledge about God. Let me ask you, how much do you know about your God? If I were to ask you, besides a Savior... What other characteristics of God are there? Would you be able to answer? How many of you would, would have a, a deep knowledge of, of the blessing and the benefit that God has to offer? And so we see it's very important in our lives to have a knowledge of who God is and to grow in that knowledge of who He is. In James 1.5 it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. You see, God wants us to walk in wisdom. Wisdom is simply knowing how to use the knowledge that we have. And so if we lack wisdom, we're to ask of God. But get it, if we don't have knowledge to begin with of who our God is, then how are we going to have wisdom to handle the knowledge that we have? So it's very important to, to have knowledge of who our God is. Listen to what Proverbs 1.7 says. It says, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is simply can be boiled down to this. Love what God loves, hate what God hates. The fear of the Lord is this, the beginning of knowledge. Do you want to know where to start? Fear the Lord. Love what He loves. Hate what He hates. And so we begin to grow in knowledge. But what about growing in, in knowledge of who your God is? Do you spend time in the Word of God? Get it, if we don't spend quality time in God's Word studying it, will never have a deeper knowledge of who God is. Hey, if you're relying on your spiritual knowledge to come only when your pastor preaches on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, you're going to begin to have a very shallow knowledge of your God. You see, this thing of the Christian life is not to just be fed with what pastor says, but even beyond that, to continue to grow on a day-to-day -day basis in the knowledge. Do you have knowledge of who your God is? Notice the next thing he says. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. You get it, verse number six. And to knowledge temperance. The word temperance is simply this, self-control. 
self-control. Let me ask you, in your life, do you easily fly off the handle? Or do you have self-control? You see, an immature Christian will react very quickly. But a mature Christian that's building on the basics of the Christian life says, okay, I need to have self-control. That means when I'm addressing situations, have self-control. When I'm living life, have self-control. When I'm, when I'm uh, indulging in, in different things in the world that may not be inherently bad, to still have self-control. You see, eating food is good. None of us would say, let's never eat food again. I, I love food. I mean, uh, I, I've been eating it all week long, and I, I probably could, could even eat more. Pastor said, hey, let's go to breakfast this morning. And I was like, oh, man, I've already ate so much. I didn't really feel like it, but I love food that much that I said, all right, let's go. And so we, we all love food, but get it, if we don't control our portion intake of food, that food becomes a bad thing. It's called gluttony. And so nobody would say eating food is necessarily bad, but get it, in our lives we must have control of how much we eat or else it becomes the sin of gluttony. But that carries across the board with many things. But let me ask you, do you have self-control? The Bible says this in Titus 1.8, but, uh, be a, uh, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good, good men, sober, just, holy, get it, temperate. Temperate, self-control. This should be a characteristic of our life. But let me ask you, do you fly off the handle? Do you have self-control when it comes to the things of life? If not, then guess what? There's some things that you need to add to your life tonight. There's some things that you need to say, okay, God, I struggle with this thing of self-control. I'm always angry. I always just fly off the handle. God, would you control me? And it's going to be a daily process of seeking God to help you to have self-control. Do you have it? Or do you need to add it tonight? For, for me, this thing of self-control when I was in high school was, was a very uh, non-existent thing. I... I had a, a, a lot of uh, anger issues when I was in high school. And it even got to the extent that it carried into the sports that I played there in the Christian school. I remember one instance that there was a, a, a really tall, tall, probably six, eight guy that, that was uh, maybe a junior or senior. And he was the, the center. And, and I was probably the tallest guy that was on the court for our team. And so we were going against this, this team. And during one of those games, this guy, he ended up pushing me when we were on our home court, and I ended up flying into the concession stand, and I landed there in one of the chairs, and, and I thought, in, in my righteous anger, I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it to this guy. It is over. It is on. Those are fighting words for any guy. And so I stood up, and I began to, to walk towards him, and the ref saw what was going. He started blowing his whistle. Then one of the guys on the other team, he was sort of a friend of mine. I knew him a little bit, but not too close. But he, he saw what I was about to do, and, and the frustration that I had, he, he grabbed me and said, hey, hey, it, it's all right. And what I did, because I, I was still so just, just flaming mad and just frustrated that this guy would do that, I grabbed him underneath the, the armpits, and I shoved him off of me. What is that? No self-control. But not only in this area of anger, but, but in the everyday walk of life do we have this thing of self-control. So not only do we see temperance, but notice next is patience. Add to, to temperance, patience. Patience. Every time I think of patience, I think of one place. 
the Department of Motor Vehicles. There's one terrible thing to do is to, to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, give me patience. Because you know what happens that day? There's always a situation that happens that tests your patience. Especially don't pray when you're getting ready to go renew your tags or get your new driver's license because it seems like there's always something. You could have all the proper documentation, but it won't be the right thing. And so then you have to go back home and spend more time trying to figure out what they like. And those kind of things test our patience. Whenever you're driving down the road, when somebody cuts you off, sometimes we, we lack self-control, but sometimes people just drive really slow. And we, that tests our patience as well. You see, there are many things in life that test our patience. But get it, God says in our lives as Christians, we should have patience. Patience. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know what that tells me? That in, in life, as we sow to the Spirit, eventually we'll reap of the Spirit and reap the benefits that God has but get it, if we don't patiently serve the Lord, we'll never reap what he intends for us to reap. Psalms 37, 7, it says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Uh, we see the, the importance of, uh, of patience. Look, look, would you, real quick, to James chapter number 1. James chapter number 1. We see the, the value that patience has found even in James. Verse number, verse number 2 of James 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, testing, trials, is what he's speaking of. Verse number 3, notice. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh, what's that word? Patience. Do you know in the midst of trials, many times God is working on our patience? You see, patience is not a bad thing. Actually, it's a very good thing. Let me ask you, do you have it in your daily life? Do you have it even in the midst of the trial that you may be going through? Notice, not only patience, but next, godliness. Godliness. Godliness simply means this, conforming to the laws and wishes of God, devout or pious. It's not a holier-than-thou mentality, but it's a desire to be looking like Jesus Christ. You see, there's this false sense of, of because I'm under grace, I can now live and do what I want. But Galatians totally blows that theology out of the water. Because why? It says, let us not use, our, use this thing of grace as a license to sin. Yes, we have liberty in the Christian life, but get it, this is what he's speaking of. He's speaking of the fact that we have liberty to do what we could not do as unsaved individuals. It was this, to become more like Jesus Christ. And so we're to, in this liberty, desire to live godly in this world. 1 Timothy 4.8, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Unto all things. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Even there, godliness and patience, that contentment even goes hand in hand. It's great gain. And so we find the importance of living a godly life. Let me ask you, the individuals that know you the best, would they say there's a man or a woman of God? Do people see godliness in you? 
And that's not the reason why we try to live godly. Ultimate, it's to bring God glory. But let me ask you, the people that you come in contact with, do they know that you're a Christian? Do they know that you desire to walk with God? Or do they just see you as just another one of the people in this world that have not been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they see a difference in your life? They should. And so now we see the importance that Peter says, hey, let's add to our faith godliness. Godliness. We want to make sure that we're distinct from this world. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to live a separated life. Let me ask you, is godliness part of your life? Notice next is not only godliness, but brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is, is, is this type of love for one another. This is brotherly love. The, the word there, brotherly kindness, is phileo. We get the, the, the city of Philadelphia. It's the city of brotherly love. You see, get it? If we don't have brotherly love for one another, then we are living as immature Christians. And so to grow beyond the basics, guess what God desires? Is to have love for one another. Hey, let's, let's just be honest is we're not always going to agree with, with one another. We're human beings. We do things differently. We all have different opinions. We all have different things. But get it, those differences should not cause disunity amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. After all, there are, there are some things in life that really don't amount, to, don't amount to a hill of beans. Could you say it that way? That's a good southern, southern statement right there. I don't know if we're used to those statements in the Midwest. But Paul said it this way in, in Romans, dealing with the meat sacrificed to idols. He made this statement that understand that the kingdom of God is not meat or drink. What was he saying? There are things in life that are insignificant that don't really matter in eternity, in the grand scheme of eternity. And so it even, it even plays into what we talked about last night of the importance of unity. And so we must not sacrifice our differences, or, or we must not give in to our differences and, and different things to, the, to sacrifice this thing of, of brotherly love. We're called to have brotherly love. Do you have it? If not, hey, would we tonight add it into our lives? But then we see another kind of love. Add to brotherly kindness, look at, look at verse number 7, and to brotherly kindness, charity. So now, not only should we have love for one another, and if we don't love, would we add that to our faith? But now we see another type of love. It's agape love. It's love for those that are unlovely. Those that may not look like us. Those that may not act like us as Christians. We are called to have love for those as well. Because what did Jesus say? He said this, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. How? if you have love one for another. Gypsy Smith, the famous evangelist, said this, there are five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Christian, but most people don't read the first four. And so the way that people see us showing love should ultimately point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Love the unlovely, that person that, that seems to, to, to be a little different. The person that seems to be a little down and out in the, in the community. Hey, as Christians, we should desire to have love and show love towards them. And if it's not a part of our lives, then guess what? We're immature and we need to add it to our lives. You see, 
there are some things that, that maybe you look like that you look at in this passage. You say, I, I think I, I'm pretty good. And it's not in a prideful sense. You say, I, I think I got that down. But let me ask you, what is it in your life that needs to be added tonight? What is it that you look and you say, okay, I, I realize that this, this characteristic isn't quite in my life. Would we as Christians begin to go beyond the basics and say, God, would you help me to have temperance, to have godliness, to have knowledge of who you are? God, help me to have virtue. And would we begin to, to build beyond the basics and ultimately be, be abiding in him on a day-to-day basis? But notice last, and then we'll be done, is the danger of not adding. The danger of not adding. We see that Peter instructs us of the importance of adding to our faith. But now I want us to draw our attention to, to the last two verses, verse number 8. He says, for if these things be in you, what is he saying? These things, the, the things that he just said, add to your faith about. If these things be in you, then guess what will ultimately be the outcome? These things be in you and abound. They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. Hey, do you want to bear fruit in your Christian life? Do you want to be a godly Christian? Do you want to be uh, one that, that walks with the Lord? Add to your faith. Because it is when we add to our faith that and these things abound, we find that we begin to bear fruit. But notice verse number, number 10. But he that lacketh these things. Now he focuses on the danger of what happens if we choose to walk out the doors and not add to our faith. What happens if we choose, Brother Nate, to not add to our faith? Look at what he says. He says, but he that lacketh these things is blind. Is blind. In other words, you could say it this way, spiritually undiscerning. You see, the Christian that is not adding to their faith, they don't realize and they are blind to their own reactions and actions towards others and towards things concerning the Christian life because why? They're simply not growing the way that they should. And I hope that in your life you say, I don't want to be uh, spiritually undiscerning. We need spiritual discernment in this thing of the Christian life. And so is blind, but notice next, and cannot see afar off. So we see that that's a danger, and get it, look at this last verse, or the last part of this verse, verse number 9. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. What is he saying? The word old sins there is, is very important to identify. He's not talking about just sin in general. He's talking about when we aren't growing in the Christian life, we begin to doubt our salvation. There are three reasons why people doubt their salvation. Number one is they're genu genuinely not saved. Can I just tell you, just a, a side note, if you're not saved tonight, would you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? He loves you immensely. He gave himself to die on the cross for your sins, and he is the only way to heaven. It's not through religion. It's not through good works. I don't care how much you do, but according to the Bible, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You must admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and call out to him and realize, Lord Jesus, I can't do it on my own. Oh, please save me from my sins. And the promises are resounding as Romans 10, 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're not saved tonight, 
none of this adding thing makes sense to you. Why? Because you need to make the first decision. It's to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not saved, I beg you, I plead with you, please don't put it off any longer. Get saved. You see, the only person that knows if you're saved or not is you and God. I don't. I can't make that decision for you. You know. So they're not saved. Another reason why people will doubt their salvation, not only are they not saved, genuinely saved, is number two, is unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. See, a lot of times when we're living in sin, guess what? We're, we're more in tune with what the world has to offer than, than, the, than the Lord Jesus Christ, and we begin to doubt our salvation. Why? Because our love is not for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we, we doubt when we're, there's unconfessed sin. But number two, the, or number three, the reason why we, we doubt our salvation is simply this, because we're not growing the way God intends for us to grow. And so now we come to 2 Peter 1.9. It says, when we lack these things, when we lack the growth in our lives, he has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. In other words, you could put it this way in today's vernacular is that when you're not growing, you begin to doubt your salvation. Because Jesus said, when you've trusted me, you're now walking in light. You're no longer in darkness. That old man, the old sin nature, should be, be crucified. It's, it's done away with. Now you're, you're a new man. And we shouldn't be walking after the, the old ways. But get it, when we're not growing the way that God wants us to, we begin to forget that we're saved. So if you have questions, if you're doubting your salvation, ask yourself those three questions. Am I really saved? If not, get saved. Number two, is there unconfessed sin in my heart? And if you can answer those two honestly, and the, those, uh, you, you know that you're saved and there's no unconfessed sin, ask the third one. Am I growing the way God wants me to? And so by God's help and God's grace tonight, as a church, would we say, God, would you help us? Help us to move beyond the basics and grow closer to you more than we have ever been before. Would you add to your faith? Every head bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around this evening. I want to ask just a couple questions, then we'll move right into the invitation. The first is this.